Get ready to pump your energy and jumpstart your dreams with positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio on the world's most popular power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are. The Oprah of the airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, and her sidekick, daughter, Heather Brittany, deliver lessons of success spanning the generations of the globe in their information-packed Tea for Two, a mother-daughter brew. In other segments, Cynthia interviews real-life trailblazers, authors, and experts with the courage and vision who show you how to build a road to fulfillment through their unique books and services. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll be informed and entertained. For your free lifestyle empowerment coaching session right here on the airwaves, turn up the volume, relax, sit back, and get ready to be inspired. Because Star Style, Be the Star You Are, starts right now. Hello, party partners, and welcome to Radio's Finest Hour of Power, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, a program of positive talk with authors that expand your life and help you to get better and to do well. I am Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And we're so glad you're back, Heather Brittany. We missed you last week. <laughs> this is the T for Two segment, and we are your success coaches here on the airwaves. We are a show about following your heart, doing what you love. We are bubbling like champagne or like Vouvre from France with enthusiasm and inspiration and motivation. And the miracle moment for today is brought to you by Star Style Productions. Coaching you to be the star of your own life. Get ready for the new year. Book a consultation. Get your plan in order. Go to star-style.com or call 925-377-7827 to get going the right way. And this is by Stephen Covey. You have to decide what your highest priorities are and then have the courage, pleasantly and smilingly and not apologetically, to say no to other things. And the way you do that is by having a bigger yes burning inside you. <laughs> the enemy of best is often just good. I think that is really good. You know, in 4-H we used to say we want to make the best better, and I think that is a very good one. Well, today we have a few changes for our show. First up, Heather and I are going to be talking about the lost art of sewing. And segment two, Gail Rogers was scheduled for her book trilogy, For Love's Sake Only. She took a bad fall this week. She broke her leg and her hip. Oh, my goodness. And her our prayers for a rapid healing because we really love Gail and her books. And we'll reschedule her when she is well. So, so sorry to hear about that. But instead, we are going to give a tribute to one of the great writers in our book, Be the Star You Are for Teens. We had another Rather a tragedy yesterday, Jill Bidenton, who wrote two chapters, she wrote The Gift of Ingenuity and The Gift of Laughter, she lost her battle with cancer. And we want to honor her ingenuity and her laughter in segment two. And then in our final segment, our our very favorite multi-talented philosopher, our mathematician, author, and economist, Joel Clark Gibbons will be back with his unclassifiable book, Man and God in the World. It is a treatise on human nature, so it should be a very interesting hour today. Grab your cup of tea, sit back. Our Tea for Two segment is starting right now. Well, Heather, as you know, I am always at the sewing machine, and I'm still working on the same sewing machine that I was given as a Christmas birthday gift by my grandparents when I was 12 years old, um, we, since growing up on the farm, we didn't have very much money, and we had school uniforms in grammar school, so our, any extra clothes we had consisted of a pair of Levi's, a couple of T-shirts, cowboy boots, of course, and some underwear, but when I was 12, I did realize that if I was going to go to high school, there wasn't going to be any uniforms, I needed clothes. Without any money, I wasn't going to be able to buy clothes, and so it was up to me to figure out a way to be fashionable. That meant enrolling in a 4-H project that was the sewing project, uh, saving my chicken money from selling the eggs, and shopping the bargain bins at fabric stores. But sewing became so important to me that, you know, by mid-high school, I was making all my own patterns out of newspapers, and I actually made all my own clothes up until my 30s, and clothes for my husband, and clothes for you kids. Um, and just had a really good time doing it. Then it became kind of less expensive to buy off the rack. But all of a sudden, I mean, it's like sewing kind of disappeared. I started making household accessories. 
But now we're back in the DIY, you know, do-it-yourself times, and sewing classes are bursting at the seams. In fact, Joanne's National Fabric um, Craft Chain, she, uh, that opened 30 new stores this year. They're going to open 40 next year. So, Heather, our expert here on research, what is behind the sewing boom? Is this just another recession-driven effort to save money, or is this about self-expression? <laughs> Well, I think that can definitely play into that. That's one um, way of looking at it. But I think, you know, definitely uh, various things. As one, the media, of course, has really kind of boosted this thing that fashion is cool and that making something yourself um, is a really hip thing. There's a show called Project Runway, and there's all these young, aspiring designers competing um, for, they win you know, a certain a lot of money, and they get their line that they create gets to be put out to the public. They get to have a show at New York's prestige fashion show, you know, fashion week every year in, in New York. And I think it's one of those things, I think, as um, a generation, especially a trait I see very much in the generation I've grown up, is this need for individuality. I think it's, you know, it's just as um, fashion truly is never new, it's always a recreation I mean, all the things that I think, oh, my gosh, Mom, look at this. This is awesome. And you say, oh, my gosh, you know, oh, we used to wear pants like this and like that. Fashion is well, always I mean, one of your favorite things is to raid my closet and then to remake things. Exactly. exactly. And so that's a big thing, that fashion is always, you know, so it isn't that this is something new. I think it's just, you know, coming popular again. And the thing that, again, people feel really good. They want to do things. Um, they want to have, you know, clothes in this market where everyone feels very much the same. People are seeking individuality. So they get to, our clothes are such an expression of ourselves. And um, so this way people are remaking, you know, making their own clothes. And as well as you were saying too, um, recon- uh, economy session stuff, that it's expensive. Clothes are expensive. And it's a great way as well, you know, being earth-friendly and going green, of remaking things. A lot of times, you know, that, that pair of jeans ripped up, you can turn that jeans into a purse, into a clutch, and, you know, refurbish thing into a pillow. Um, I think it's a really great little trick to have just as well. Um, I know guy friends, you know, they won't admit that they're any kind of sewer, but they fix their own, you know, the holes in their jeans and sewing things on. I think it's a really great tool and just useful thing um, to have. And especially, you know, also in this world, in this economy, all this individualness, a big thing is trade schools. People used to think, you know, that that's almost uh, second rate, that you need to get a BA or an MB, something of something. But schools such as FITM tailor to this, the Fashion Design Institute. And people, I know people that are going into their masters in that, and they love it. The chance of thinking that um, not only could they have their own line, but they understand the business behind it as well. I think it's a lucrative thing, too, is that no matter what, people are always going to need clothes. And uh, I think that's a fun thing about creating your own clothes in that aspect. Well, and, you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more because I just know my, you know, for me, learning to sew was part of an economic thing, is that we had no money for clothes. My parents said, you want to have clothes? They bought me one skirt and one blouse, and if you wanted to have more than that to, to wear to high school you're going to have to create it. And so it did become very individual for me, but it also became such a creative outlet that I wanted to get better and better. Pretty soon I was making coats and suits. And, mm-hmm. and you know, by my senior year, I was designing fashions, and so all the clothes I had were really different than anybody else. So yeah, that self-expression really was great. I mean, I think that was really interesting that you can create your own your own look. You don't have to be dependent on what is in the store. And then the skills that you use, just what you're saying, you can use for everything else. I mean, as you know, just and, and with me being in the design industry for so many years, I mean, I know how to do all kinds of reupholstery and make the window treatments and pillows and, and bed, uh, bed covers and just about anything. And any time I don't like a, a dress or like an outfit or something seems to go out of style, I just cut it up and make something new. Exactly. You know, and that actually brought up a big thing. You're talking about the surges. One thing is back, you know, in the 70s, the mid-70s, home economic classes that used to offer the sewing began to be dropped from the schools due to school funding as well as things were labeled as people thought 
sewing was only a woman's thing, and there's a whole revolution of, you know, women getting their independence and saying, you know, we aren't just in kitchens. And and now there's kind of been this research that why can't, you know, a woman, you know, just because a woman likes to bake or sew doesn't mean that she also doesn't have the corporate job and the successfulness. So I think there's also been this reclaiming in a woman's aspect that sewing isn't something that labels you in, you know, or, or um, you know, isn't some feminist thing that, you know, makes you only, um, you know, only a housewife. That it's actually a great thing. Right. And it's not just a grandmother's art. I mean, in, exactly. my mother never learned to sew. And, in fact, when I used to, to win dress review um, competitions and things, people would accuse my mom of making the things. She never, she still to this day can't even sew on a button. But <laughs> most people's grandmothers, at least, ha- were sewers. Because that was the way of life. You had to create your own thing. But as you said, today, literally, I think in our busy world, if you don't know how to sew, you're really going to be spending a lot of time, money, and energy, you know, at the dry cleaners or at a tailor's getting things made to fit for you. Yeah, and it's in that same thing, too, is that I want you to just know the basic sewing of things because you don't want to be that person if a button falls off or a zipper breaks or there's a tear, that that's the end of that shirt or anything. But simply, it's the simplest things, you know, just sewing it back on. Or, you know, similar, or if you were to take it somewhere and they fix it and they're going to charge you $10 for something you could fix for, you know, less than a penny. Well, it's, it's just, just like when you were home recently and you came home with one of the dresses and the hem was completely out and you had it all safety pinned. Of course, mm-hmm. that could be one of the, that could be a fashion look, you know, to have that. But the reality is, is with just a, you know, a few minutes, you can, if you know how to thread a needle or if you have a sewing machine and you know how to thread your sewing machine, you can fix your hem. You can fix those buttons. You can fix that little tear in the shoulder or the tear in the crotch instead of tossing things. And it, it makes a huge difference. And And, you know, for you, do you feel, um, you know, with different sewing things that there's ever been, you know, a best? machinery or you know i always just hear i have to say recently i was actually in joanne's and i my god don't leave me in that store i wanted everything all you know the yards and it's just so fun you know create and amazed by the the fabric they had in these metallics and disc of things you wouldn't you know you're really right um i know for years and i was truly addicted to fabric stores you know kind of now how i love any kind of gifts that are garden-related. You know, I want some manure and I want plants and that kind of thing. Um, throughout my teenage years and early 20s and 30s, everything that I ever wanted had to do with notions, uh, notions being things for sewing. I wanted, you know, I wanted needles or fabrics or trim. or And mm-hmm. still to this day, I mean, I have trunks of fabric because one of the great things of fabric stores, they do have bargain bins or they have rolls where there's only a few yards left. And... You can go in and find some amazing things. And if you want to make costumes, everything is there. And, yes, I'm the same way now. If I go into a fabric store, it, or it's just like going into Michael's or some kind of a craft store, it, it's, I, could, I could really spend all day. I just I love it. I love doing crafty things. And, and, that, um, no, and yet I'm a businesswoman. So. And that brings it to, especially, you know, in this economy and this time, and I think that there was a big surge after – um, 9-11, uh, people want to give gifts that mean something. Oh, and I like that. I agree. Really, really special when something is handmade, and especially clothing. I mean, it's such an honor when someone, you know, I have stuff that you've made, that you had made it. It's love when people say, oh, my God, where did you get that? And it's so cool not even to say, oh, this is mom, but she made this, or I made this, or people feel it's a one-of-a-kind. Well, let's just talk about your Carmini collection right now because I think that is a, a perfect segue into it. You make these beautiful handmade clutches and uh, canvas bags that you yeah. decorate with recycled vintage bangles, baubles, beads, fabrics, whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure that it doesn't matter what you would sell it for. You probably never make enough money, you know, to pay for this stuff or your time, but you enjoy doing it so much. And mm-hmm. people love this kind of a gift because you make them one-of-a-kind items. Exactly. And, and it shows a lot. I mean, it's not to downgrade any other, but it really shows that you thought of, of the individual. Because when people, 
when they're making you something, they're having you in mind, saying, you know, I love, I know you love sunflowers, or so, so I made this dress, or I made you this, co- I made this thing inspired by you, and to think that, in essence, you know, you are someone's muse, and it just feels really good, someone to feel that really specialness that no one else can have that, and then it's kind of those things, too, that, you know, when time passes, you're mentioning, you know, you just lost um, a loved one for our lives, is you have something that truly is individualized from that person. Um, so, it's, you know, things, things live on. Electronics, you know, change and don't work anymore and fashion trends come and go. But when something, it's more, you know, the individualized, um, the person behind it. Well, like, I just know, want to encourage people, both men and women, that getting back into sewing, it's a good fit for everyone. Everybody has to wear clothes. Everyone lives in a house. You're always going to have something that needs to be fixed. Or, or mended, and so just look into it. There are a lot of different websites out there now where you can get free patterns. You can There are blogs, etc. Just check it out. Uh, I don't know what I would do if I hadn't learned to sew as a child. I mean, I use it probably several times a week, and if you just looked around my house, everything I have made and as you said I still make all the handmade gifts and things and to me it gives me great pleasure and I hope it gives other people pleasure too so I'm really glad to see that sewing is no longer considered kind of old-fashioned and that it is the lost art of sewing is finding a new home with this new generation so would you give out the website honey most definitely go to be the star you are.com be the star you are.org MySpace.com forward slash Carmen Clutches, both with a K, and CarmenClutches.com. And again, be creative and expressive. Sign up for sewing classes at a local sewing center. When we return from break, Be the Star You Are salutes the life of writer Jill Byington. Stay with me. I am Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Whitney. And there is more to come. We'll be right back. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. As we approach the time of year when everyone sits down to start planning for their future, they write their goals, they're preparing for next year's success. The business bite for today is to encourage you to never give up on your dreams. This is a poem that I've included in all of the books that I've written, and it's my hope that this helps you not only in business but in your life choices. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile but you have to cry, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is strange with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns, and many a failure turns about when he might have won had he stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow, because success is failure turned inside out, the silver tint of the clouds of doubt, and never can you tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far, so stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worse that you must not quit. Remember, you are the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan from Star Style with another business bite. For coaching or consultations, call 925-377-7827 or visit star-style.com. Looking for unique, one-of-a-kind gifts for the special woman in your life? The Carmony Collection creates handmade handbags, clutches, candles, and canvases from vintage and recycled fabrics, bangles, and beads. Be eco-friendly and fashionable with prices for all pocketbooks. Visit www.carmonycollection.com. That's Carmony with a K and Collection with a K. Or call 925-785-7827. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. It's the Power Hour on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. 
Now, back to the show with the Oprah of the airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. As always, I am so happy that you have stayed with us here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, where the world comes to talk and listen. I am Cynthia Bryan, and I am your success coach. We call it the passion, the purpose, and the possibility expertise. We want you to be successful and happy and abundant in life. Well, the seventh annual essay contest continues to challenge all of you out there. If you would like to write and you want to enter, go to be the star you org. This year, our topic is how you can create abundance, happiness, and prosperity in your life through the service to others, which is really the mission of Be the Star You Are. The contest this year is sponsored by U.S. Bank. We thank Michael Ball of U.S. Bank in Lafayette, California, for doing this, and we hope that you will enter. You can win dollars. You'll win a radio interview right here, books, and more. Be the star you are dot org. And speaking of books, as uh, it comes to the gift buying season, consider buying a case of books uh, for a donation of ninety nine dollars. You can give a case of books. Uh, that's worth about $600 to the charity, the school, the library, or the cause of your choice. It is tax deductible. We have a great array of books, and this is a program that's probably going to be discontinued in the following year just because it is very, very costly to uh, administer and the donations haven't been coming in. We just shipped three cases to Casey's Charity in Arkansas, and we received a letter of gratitude just asking us please to continue shipping more books as the children and families in this town of Thornton, Arkansas are so poor that even the libraries and schools don't have books. They deal with every kind of adversity there. They really could use more help. In uh, writing to us, they are dealing with drug and alcohol abuse, with depression, with violence, with teen pregnancy with criminal activities, with homelessness, with eating disorders, antisocial behavior, school dropout, learning disabilities, poverty, extreme poverty, sexual abuse, uh, mental illness, hunger, and a plethora of other challenges. They can use all the books that we can send them. So consider $99. We'll ship them or any, any cause that you want a case of books. Visit BeTheStarYouAre.org, BeTheStarYouAre.org. Well, for the past 10 years, the webmaster for Be The Star You Are has been my great, great buddy, my, my sister, my dedicated volunteer. She's from the state of Washington, and her name is Kim Carlson. No, we're not related at all. In fact, we met for the first time at the 10th anniversary of the charity, but we work so closely together, we feel like we've... We are connected. Kim began working with us uh, so many years ago when her Aunt Pat, who lives here in California, was one of our cherished volunteers at Be The Star You Are. Now, Kim has a sister named Jill who was a, a wonderful writer and teacher and, and taught many, many people how to write. And two of her fantastic essays are included in the book Be The Star You Are for Teens. And she wrote The Gift of Laughter and The Gift of Ingenuity. In her short bio that was included in the book, this is what she wrote about herself. Jill Byington has been writing and teaching for the past 30 years. She grew up in the state of Washington with two brothers, two sisters, and two parents, and only one bathroom. She still lives in the same area, but now she has one husband, one son, and three bathrooms. Of course, she still had her brothers and sisters. But, you know, you could just tell by that little bio that she had a great sense of humor. Well, on December 8th, Jill succumbed to a cancer that she had been battling with humor and with bravery for a very long time. And we are all very numb and very sad at the loss of this lovely lady and a talented writer and a very loving, loving person. And we want to offer our heartfelt condolences to her family, her friends, her students, and to everyone who knew her. So today we thought that we would pay tribute to Jill by reading The uh, Gift of Ingenuity, and if we have time, we'll get to The Gift of Laughter. 
And while we're saying this, we I just want to remind our listeners that we will be rescheduling uh, Gail Rogers, who has had a fall this week. So it's been a, a week of tragedy here. And I'm really very, very happy to honor Jill. If you go back in our archives at starstyleradio.com, she was on our radio show on uh, April 30th of 2009. You can find the archives at worldtalkradio.com as well on our Be The Star You Are site. But this is the gift of ingenuity, and it happens to be Kim's kind of favorite essay that Jill wrote. I've always been interested in the meaning behind words. For example, the word ingenuity and ingenue fascinate me because they both have the same French root word, but in English they have meanings that seem to oppose one another. A person who has ingenuity is someone who is an imaginative or who is clever, but an ingenue is a person who is innocent or naive. Still, linguistics aside, I'm not so sure there's a true conflict in meaning. It all goes back to 1963, a Volkswagen Beetle. The car was old when I was learning to drive, and it had survived my two older sisters' driving lessons already. The fenders were dented, and it rattled when it went down the road, but we were lucky to have a car at all. Our family had survived economic hard times, and my parents were working hard to pull us through. Meanwhile, most of my childhood, if something broke, we fixed it. We did without, or we found a different way to do it. So when reverse gear in the Volkswagen broke and we couldn't afford the part to fix it, my dad said, who needs reverse? So we just drove forward. We were lucky to have a driveway that went uphill to the house. We could pull the car in front first to park at home and then just put it in neutral and roll backward out of the driveway, taking a sharp turn at the bottom of the hill to put the car nose straight and ready to roll and to drive forward down the road. In parking lots, we chose only spots where we could pull through into the spot in front, ready to leave going forward again. If all else failed, the car was light enough for one person to push downhill or on the flat, or we could recruit a passerby to help push if needed. That didn't happen too often. Frankly, we began to wonder if reverse could be considered as much of a luxury add-on in a car as air conditioning or a stereo. I enjoyed the challenge of always driving forward, but I was still embarrassed. Many of my peers were much better off. I envied their brand new cars, their brand new clothes, their homes, and often wondered what it would be like to have the latest style of clothes or the latest of anything for that matter. I was the third sister in the hand-me-down line, and my older sister got her clothes from a well-off friend of ours. That put me at least four years behind the fashion curve. I anticipated a day when I could keep up with the latest and the greatest on my own and not have to be embarrassed in front of anyone. I still remain four years behind the fashion curve. Now it's a bit by choice and a bit because I learned what it's like to have the latest of everything. It's expensive, and new things break just as easily as old things. I am grateful for the stamina and the perspective that hard times gave me, and I've used everything I learned to press through difficulties of my own. I know now that there are many things that shouldn't be done, but very few things that can't be done. And just like the time that the Volkswagen lost reverse gear, I never question, man, when reverse isn't possible, you can always go forward. And uh, so I find the ingenuity to do it, to just go forward. And she has written a, an exercise to go with it, and it's called Doing Without. A good way to learn ingenuity is to imagine how life might be without certain things. You'd be surprised at how easy it is to think of more than one way to get something done. Who knew we'd be able to drive a car without reverse gear and have no problems? Here are a few ideas for you to think about. You can do some research online or in the library to find new ways to do things. One is, how would you clean your teeth without toothpaste? How would you keep cool or stay warm without electricity? How would you get to work or school without a car or someone to drive you? How would you have fun with friends without any money? How would you go to college without a scholarship? Well, who needs reverse? Just find a way to go forward. And that is the gift of ingenuity by 
Jill Biden. And I, and I just thought that that is a very clever thing. And it works right in with what Heather and I were talking about with sewing and how I think that Jill grew up very similar to the way we grew up and we had to do without. And it made us stronger people. It gave us fortitude. It, it really did instill in us a way to find a way to get around things and to do things in that didn't cost money or made us more creative, made us inventive. And Jill was definitely that kind of person. And she was very infused with a sense of humor. The other story that she wrote for the book, and you can find this again, The Gift of Laughter, and it's in Be the Star You Are for Teens. You can go to bethestaryouareforteens.com. If you go to the bonus section, we have the gift of ingenuity is there for you, so you can download it uh, for free and read it. And if uh, you buy the book, Be the Star You Are for Teens, you'll get to to see all the rest of the chapters, but you'll get to see the the gift of laughter. And I'm going to just read uh, a bit of the gift of, of laughter for you. In the early days of the Internet, I joined a female discussion forum Soon I was conversing with women from all over the world, some of whom included initials in place of entire phrases. The most popular were LOL and ROFLOL, which, as I soon found out, meant laughing out loud, rolling on the floor laughing out loud. I also learned that certain punctuation looked at sideways can replace a smile. Those on the forum who didn't use those simple techniques to communicate laughter or smile were often misunderstood leading to meaningless arguments and hurt feelings. Laughter, I concluded, is so important to us as human beings that when we invent a new way to communicate, we also must invent a new way to laugh and smile. In fact, laughter is so embedded in us that even infants who are deaf and blind laugh. Just consider the following few benefits of laughter. Laughter can help you learn. Sometime in the early 1920s, when there were only 48 United States, my grandpa George and his family sat trying to list all the states. They wrote down every state that everyone in the family could remember and came up with 47. They tried alphabetizing to see where they were missing, but the list stubbornly stood at 47. Then sometime after midnight, through the silent apartment and echoing out into the empty city street, a loud yell came from 12-year-old George's room. Colorado! Everyone laughed and then went back to sleep. Nobody ever forgot Colorado again. (laughs) Laughter can diffuse a difficult situation. My brothers, sisters, and I watched in horror as a disembodied hand crossed across the floor. We couldn't move. We couldn't think. Grandpa George knew he had to do something quickly. Suddenly he stepped in front of the television screen and assumed the position of a hammy vaudevillian singer. I ain't got nobody, he belted out, corrupting the 1920s hit, I ain't got nobody, and sending us into peals of laughter at the same time. The movie was more funny than scary after that. Grandpa knew the proverb that says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. That means sometimes a difficult situation demands gold medal humor and the resulting silver laughter. Laughter is contagious. The poet Ella Wilcox, born in 1850, said it best, Laugh and the world laughs with you. Weep and you weep alone. A 2008 study done by Harvard Medical School and the University of California at San Diego confirms the statement. The study shows that both happiness and sadness are contagious. They spread through social networks. There's a statistical relationship not only between your happiness and the happiness of those around you, but also between your happiness and that of friends of friends of friends of friends. So happy friends. Make happy friends. And one of the best ways to spread happiness is through laughter. So spread a little laughter and make a big difference. And laughter can change history. In 1984, Ronald Reagan was the oldest U.S. president ever to have served. When he ran again for office, he was asked during a debate, whether he was up for the work because of his age. Without missing a beat, Reagan said solemnly that he would not make age a political issue. I am not, he said, going to exploit for my political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. The room, his opponent, Walter Mondale, and the country burst into collective laughter. 
We don't know what would have happened if he had said something else, but we do know that this statement was a defining moment in an election that led to a landslide victory for Reagan. Spread a little laughter and make a big difference. We salute Jill Byington. May she rest in peace. Thank you, Jill, for being a part of Be The Star You Are, a part of Be The Star You Are for teens, and to her family, her friends, her loved ones, and all of those for whom she's left a legacy. We offer our sincerest condolences, and we are really sad for this loss. When we return from break, Joe Gibbons, our most favorite philosopher, mathematician, economist, and thinker, joins us with his treatise on human nature, man, and God in the world. I'm Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. We'll be back in a bit. Stay with me. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature star-style consultations. With personalized sessions by phone or in person, you'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7827. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com. CynthiaBryan.com. You can be the star you are. Be the star you are. Light up the flame that burns. Get a positive prescription for living and discover a cure for adversity when you make a difference in the lives of others by donating to Be the Star You Are, a 501c3 top-rated charity dedicated to empowering women, families, and youth through increased literacy, positive media, and tools for living. www.bethestarur.org. All donations are tax-deductible. www.bethestarur.org. Be the lucky star. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. the volume, grab a seat, and get ready to be challenged, inspired, and motivated to greatness. It's power party time on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with your hosts, the mother-daughter dynamic duo, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Well, thank you again for staying with us. We are live broadcasting right now, right here on World Talk Radio. I am Cynthia Bryan, and this is Star Style, Be the Star You Are. It has been written that humans are all made in the image and likeness of God. But are we God? Are we animals with a soul? What is a soul? Joel Clark Gibbons has more degrees and expertise in a plethora of subjects than anybody I know. I mean, today he is sharing truths based on teachings of St. Thomas Aquinas from his book, Man and God in the World. Welcome back, Joel, to Star Style. Be the star you are. Well, thank you so much for having me back. Joel, I am so excited every time that you are going to be on the show because I, I know that we're going to have a really lively, controversial, intellectual conversation on something of importance to the world. And I don't know anybody that has so much knowledge about so many different things. And you have a background in economics and in mathematics, and you were a, uh, a trader, and yet you, you, are, you have all this inspirational and this spiritual depth, which I just really love. So today we're going to really dive into that with your book, Man and God in the World, a treatise on human nature. So you have written that the essence of man is to be begotten, 
and then to grow up with the capacity to own our life, to make it our own. And But we're, we're called to become like Christ, not in his divinity, actually, but, you know, his image and likeness, and to live. What do you mean by this? What does it mean to just live? Well, uh, to live is, is the definition of God. Uh, so uh, in that sense, we have this, this gift of life from God, uh, which is uh, uh, a consequence of who he is. Uh, but that doesn't make us gods. We're, we're human beings, uh, and we're fashioned in the image and likeness of his son, Jesus, who is both man and God. Now, you base this book, which I found very interesting, because <clears throat> people talk about, you know, Aristotle or St. Thomas Aquinas, but you, you don't see a lot written in the way that you did it. I, they are really the foundation for your writing. Give us a little bit of background on these two powerful thinkers of St. Thomas Aquinas and Aristotle and how it relates to human nature and our godliness. Okay. Uh, the, uh, starting with Aristotle, who was historically first and was, of course, uh, was considered at the time a, a pagan, uh, but he, uh, following Socrates, uh, understood that everything that exists, everything that's real, is something and not anything else. Uh, if, if, there were, if there was a, we'll call it a thing, but if there was a, a concept that wasn't actually this or that, then it couldn't be real. Uh, and uh, Aquinas then came along a great, good deal later, came in the height of the Middle Ages, just about the time that the Cathedral of Notre Dame de Paris was being built. Uh, and, and he said, well, if God is real, he has to have an essence. Uh, and if, if God is not real, then he cannot interact with the world. So if, if, if God can care about us, and if God can you know, speak to us and, um, and be a father to us, then he has to be real, and if he's real, he has to have an essence. Uh, and so the <clears throat> it followed from that that the essence of God is to live. To live. He is life. And this is, well, you know, Aquinas emphasizes that it's not possible really for us to understand what the nature of God is, but it is possible to identify his nature, which is to live. So by the mere fact, that we are that we are living as we are actually living through God. Did I say that right? Well, he has given us this life, and and it is you know, it is our own. Uh, we have it only by His gift, but uh, our life is uh, you know belongs to us. <clears throat> and that's where the free will comes in. Yes. The, the we are we are created as human beings, which is a unique kind of being. Uh, we have we we are born in one time and place where we're we're conceived at one time and place, uh, but we have the capacity to grow up and uh, to eternal life. Our life is potentially not not conditioned. The life of the animals is conditional. They they run around and eat and breathe. Uh, for a short period of time, and, and then they die. But and that's for us, we, we only we humans have a soul. Uh, that's right. They don't have a human soul. A human soul, right? Um, so that that is uh, that is what is unique about us. We are growing. We're, we're becoming, and the the the. The the link between life and and growth is is all through the world and it, it's all through the Bible and it uh, it's all through our our sciences the social sciences the sciences of man uh, sociology and biology and all those sciences that 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 growth is the the natural context of life <laughs> and but when you talk about growth. We're not talking about the value of 
the more you know the mortal body as having all the worth it's really the growth of the human soul yes yes and that's what sets us apart from the rest of the animal kingdom yes yes so talk about that this whole that the proposition that we were discussing before about this fixed nature that hasn't changed since the first human being you know that Everything is real, has a fixed nature that can't change, but our nature isn't just physical, it really is spiritual right. because of our, of our spiritual. Go into that a little bit more because that is the whole idea of growing, developing, and becoming. Right. The, it is our nature to, to grow and, and to develop and to become, to, to become more alive. Uh, the fact is we, we operate under sort of an imperative of grow or die. Um, but, and that, that, is our, that is our fixed nature. In other words, that is the, those are the terms under which we live. <clears throat> uh, that is really what defines us as human beings. Uh, so the uh, one thing that, the, uh, that Aquinas certainly understood uh, is that... Um, the constancy of the, the definition of a thing encompasses the, the necessity to change uh, the, the formation of it. So we, we start as, you know, as, uh, in the womb, and we become babies, and then we grow up, and we get big, and then we get old. Uh, this is in no way a, a contradiction of the constancy of our nature, because our nature is not a, it's not a photograph. It's a movie, you might say. I like that that you do that kind of uh, of metaphors that our life is like a movie, so that it's constantly ongoing. We're speaking with Joel Clark Gibbons. He is the author of many books, uh, but the one that we're talking about today is "Man and God in the World." It's a treatise on human nature. You have uh, written in your book that you know one of the good things is that in being a writer, and you're a prolific writer with, with so many books is that you're not dependent on uh, the money, you know, on monetizing your writing. So you feel very free in writing what you believe is important uh, to write, which I think is such a, an incredible place to be coming from. You're really following your heart and your dream and, and mm-hmm. able to feed that, that soulful nature of being a writer and expressing your ideas. Where, where was it or when was it that you knew that you had to write this book what was it was there a turning point did mm. you know what was that hit on the top of the head you know how we have things that happen to us and it's like my aha moment i feel that this is necessary did you have a moment like that yes uh it was uh on, on the feast of corpus christi that's why the, the the first chapter starts with that yes uh and i was i was thinking about that i i, I sing in the church choir i was actually up in the choir loft and and I was thinking about that, and that that first chapter, which is uh, was originally a standalone essay, uh, just sort of came to me very rapidly, and in the course of oh, a couple of days, perhaps, I, I wrote that and sort of gave, gave a copy to the pastor and and to anyone else who would stand still for it, uh, and then the. Um, Following that, it seemed to me that that, that was the uh, kind of a, an opening to uh, to a much uh, more complete kind of uh, discussion. Well, because this is where on that feast day, you know, it's interesting because I find that I I get these aha moments on feast days too, <laughs> immaculate conception or assumption or something. You know, it's like something happens. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that is, but it happens. But it was for this one. It was. Who is the word? You know, who is this? What does? What is the? When we say the word, what does it mean? God and the word. The word was God, and um, and God is the word. And what does that mean? And so that was sort of the basis of of how you started that chapter and got into that begotten, not made, from the yeah. Nicene Creed. Right, right. The uh, where the. One of the great developments in the social sciences and the life sciences and, uh, is to understand the, the importance of bodies. And uh, that, that, um, 
that's kind of what that first chapter is about. Well, you know, one thing that I found really fascinating, because it's interesting, you don't stop to think about it till you actually read about it, how at death, you know, it's ashes to ashes, and, and our, at some point we're going to all meet our maker again. However, uh, the Blessed Mother, she actually was taken into heaven complete. That uh-huh. was the assumption. Right. That, to me, was a very interesting... I, I really hadn't thought about it that way, that it was like she was not allowed to go dust to dust. Uh-huh. And why is that? Right. And why is that? Talk to us about that. Well, it's because... Uh, and actually, uh, you asked how this started. Many years ago, I had this sort of... Uh, we'll call it an inspiration. Um and it's what kind of started me thinking about these matters. The the reason for this is called the Assumption of Mary. Right, the Assumption, August 15th. Okay, yes. Uh, the reason is that there's only one kind of life. There are, living things differ only in degree. From God, who is life, to the tiniest anaerobic bacterium in the soil somewhere in your backyard, there's, they are all alive, and there is only one kind of life. There are, there are only de- degrees of uh, differences of degree, more alive and less alive. So the we're not body and soul, and the 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 soul is immortal, and the body is a throwaway part. That's not it at all. Our our bodies are part of us, and they we are. T- you know, potentially totally alive. Our bodies alive just with every other part of us. And that's what the uh, the assumption uh, means. So it is a it, it's the whole idea is that it is a totality and you really you can't really nurture one without nurturing the other if you really want to have a full experience in living in the word live the way that God has intended it to be. Yes. Yes. I wanted to talk to you about, because there are so many, I think there are so many questions when we start talking theology and spirituality and how it, you know, revolves around man and science and social sciences, etc. But one thing that intrigued me very much about your book, that man and God in the world, is that the whole idea of uh, Darwinism and evolution and the idea of creation and creationism and the way that we think about it is God created the world and then, you know, in seven days, it really isn't different. It's just different ways of looking at it and interpreting it. it yeah, it's not contradictory. It's not yeah. contradictory, whereas so many people try to say that we, you know, you have to believe one or the other. I like the way that what you presented is that it is not contradictory that we can live both things are truism. We just have to look deeper. So let's yes. discuss that for just a second, if you don't mind. Okay. The um, Darwinian uh, evolution uh, was considered at the time to be, uh, oh, to contradict the uh, spirituality, and Darwin himself sort of fell into that trap. He had a kind of an unhappy life. Uh, but there is no contradiction, and among others, uh, the Catholic Church ne- has never criticized Darwin uh, or his theory. But we have to understand that Darwin's theory applies to biological evolution, uh, and we are we are biological, and that's what has what we have learned so much about in the last, especially fifty years, in the life sciences and psychology and so on. Uh, but, but we're not he's totally talking about is a biological natural selection, which is right. really more about human psychology, et cetera. The the it's very very interesting research, and I certainly want to make sure that your listeners hear about this uh, by a by a doctor, uh, a psychiatrist by the name of Jeffrey Schwartz. He's a professor at UCLA. Uh, you can call him up. Uh, you might not. <laughs> Want to answer all those phone calls? Well, but you, can, you can look them up on the web, right? Google them. Yes, yes just Google. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and 
He treats people who have brain disease. Now, brain disease is like leg disease. It's a physical ailment. Uh, and this particular brain disease is called OCD, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. Right. And he teaches these people, he trains their minds to overcome their brains, to make their brains obey, you might say. Uh, and, in, and he very self-consciously and very effectively demonstrates the reality of the mind, not, not a, a mind and will, which are not physical. They are not in the brain or aspects of the brain. They are distinct and they govern the brain. The, uh, our ancestors, like Aquinas and, and uh, Aristotle, and Aristotle, understood right. the reality of the mind and the will, and uh, because they didn't know as much biology as we do, didn't have to worry about exactly how it's related to the rest of us. Um, now we have to think about that, but Jeffrey Schwartz has given us the key to that door, which is that the mind and the will are not physical entities. There's no where, you know, your mind isn't anywhere except perhaps wool gathering. But, but uh, in a literal sense, your mind isn't anywhere, your will isn't anywhere. But your mind and will are capable of, of governing your brain to the point of curing OCD. See, and that, and that was a very interesting study because he's had really great success in it. Well, um, before, I just want to mention something else about your book that I found that is really fascinating are these letters back and forth that you have towards the end of your book that have oh, to yeah. do um, with, uh, you know, different culture with the Muslim culture, et cetera. That, to me, was very fascinating as a look inside of other spiritual traditions and what I came away with is that we are really all believing the same thing. We're just saying it in different ways. Um, well, that's maybe a, a stretch, but uh, but certainly the uh, Islam has its spirituality, and Islam is is uh, Puritanism without Jesus. Right. Uh, it is the origin of of our Puritanism, of Christian Puritanism, uh, because of the Spanish uh, conquest of Spain. Uh, so, uh, so it's a lot like Puritanism, and uh, the the Islam, uh, Muslims are, in many cases or most cases, uh, very admirable people, but their their way of looking at the world is quite different. Allah is Allah is not our God. Allah is not alive. And that's that's where the real difference is. And you know what, Joel? We're out of time. And I I need to have you on a whole hour. You you just have too much information. (laughs) I want people to go to the website. This is a book, Man and God in the World, a treatise on human nature. And these letters back and forth are absolutely fascinating. And you will see what the differences are, what the sameness is. Oh, the website you want people to go to is logisticresearch.com. Is that right? That's correct. L-O-G-I-S-T-I-C-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H.com. Joel Clark Gibbons, Man and God in the World, A Treatise on Human Nature. It's not a book you can possibly talk about in one segment, but it's really an interesting, interesting uh, treatise on how we can all live. Joel, thank you so much for joining us again. You're always just filled with such great information. Poetry is the most logical of all the sciences. Poetry, the most logical of all the sciences. We've got, we must remember that. Thank <laughs> you, Joel, for joining us here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. I am sure we will have him back again. I am Cynthia Bryan. I thank you for joining us. Visit BeTheStarYouAre.org. And until we celebrate next week, go out into the world and shine. You be the star you are. We will be together next week. Thank you, Joel. Thank you very much, Cynthia. Thank you.
Thank you for being part of our Star Galaxy on today's episode of Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We hope you've enjoyed the commentary and are motivated to dream big, overcome obstacles, and realize your potential. For further information, visit www.starstyleradio.com. Join our power party next week right here on World Talk Radio as Cynthia Bryan, Heather Brittany, and the pioneers of the planet pump up the energy with positive, uplifting, life-changing radio. Until then, be the star you are. You are.